0: All right, let's take our Bibles tonight. We're so glad you're here. 2 Kings 13. 2 Kings 13. 2 Kings 13. Now, let me ask this question for the ladies tonight. Is it too cold for the ladies? Raise your hand, ladies. Is it too cold? Is it okay? Is it too cold? I saw a boy raise his hand. I said, ladies. <laughs> okay, is it okay? Okay, we're going to keep it on like that. Nobody raised their hand. It's too late. You can't change it now. All right. Amen. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. We're glad you're here tonight. Say amen if you're there. Alright. Let's do this. I'm going to read the even number verses. You read the odd number of verses. And we're going to end at verse 19. Is that okay? Yes. Alright. I'm going to read even 14. Then you read 15 as a congregation. Alright. Me first. Okay. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face. And he said, O my father... My father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Congregation. And Elisha. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thy hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. Congregation. (coughs) And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice. And stayed, congregation I call your attention tonight to verses 18 and 19 that's going to be kind of the focus in a little bit here Elisha told him to take the arrows that he gathered and he says smite upon the ground and in verse 18 it says he smote thrice notice the phrase he smote thrice and he stayed he just stopped he just stopped and Elisha was filled with Wrath, the Bible says, is very angry with him. And he says, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Have you ever made this statement? I wish I did that one more time. I wish I went to see them one more time. And I want to talk to you tonight and preach you a message entitled, Never Give Up. We give up too easily. We're in a very soft, pampered world. We give up too easily. May God help us tonight, especially on the verge of entering that new building and great days ahead for our church, that we realize the importance of having perseverance and staying by the stuff. Now, Father, bless your word tonight. Meet with a special way. past our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Winston Churchill, the great statesman of Great Britain many years gone by, became very famous because of his leadership, the direction the help that he gave to the nation of Great Britain during World War II, during those darkened days. He was asked to go to his alma mater, Harold's School, on October 29, 1941. And there, as he was at Harold's School, he got up to give a commencement speech. And foremost of all the things he said, it was just a two-page speech that he gave. It probably only lasted about maybe 10 or 15 minutes. But most important of that, of that speech he gave was right in the middle of it, which I'm going to quote for you. In the middle of that message, he said, Never give in. Never give in, never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Neither yield to force, neither yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished All this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, the part of this history of of this country, were gone and finished and liquidated. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn a sponge across your slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching and no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. What's foremost about that message you gave in the middle there of the words, never give in, never give in, never, 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 nothing, great or small, large or petty, Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Tonight, we are looking at a passage of Scripture that encourages you and me to never give in. Our passage tonight deals with King Joash of Israel. There are two King Joashes. The one we saw last time we were in this passage of Scripture was King Joash of Judah. This is King Joash of Israel. King Joash of Israel was the grandson of... Of Yehu, or King Jehu, who was formerly a captain of the guard, who became king and then went, went south of God. Uh, king, king Joash, if you would, his father was King Jehoias of Israel, who was not a good king. And tonight, as we look at this king called Joash... Just this one chapter that speaks about him. He's the king of Israel. We're not in Judah. We're in Israel. We're seeing him on the final ministry of uh, words that the, that the prophet Elisha made to a living man. And that was this man, Josiah. And we see this here where he's encouraging him and encourages us that we should never give in. I want you to see several things about this passage of Scripture. We're in a Bible study tonight. I want you to see several things. And I hope you take some notes. Number one, would you notice a dire situation? We have to look at the situation that Israel. Israel was in. We see a dire situation. Notice, if you would, we'll start with verse 6 and go to verse 11. The first thing we see is a nation given to fleshly worship. A nation that is given to fleshly worship. Notice in verse 6, the Bible says, Nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who made Israel sin." who made Israel to sin, but walked therein. And there remained the groves, also Samaria. Then notice verse 11, and speaking of Joash. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, but he walked therein. Jeroboam did one thing that affected many generations. And I just want to give you a thought tonight. There could just be one thing you do that could affect many generations after you. One thought one life, one decision, one commitment. And this man, Jeroboam, though he had the promise of God, as we remember from our study many, many months ago, though he had the promise of God that God would bless him, he chose to go away from God. Jeroboam established golden calf worshiped in Israel. He took two centers of worship, Bethel and Dan. He made them places convenient for the people to worship. He drew upon their carnal appetites in nature where they remembered way, way many years before uh, how they worshiped golden calves down in the land of Egypt and he brought that back. And whatever it was there was something that was mesmerizing and enticing about worshipping golden calves. I think in the bottom line of that people like to worship something that is tangible, regardless if it has life or animation or not. And I think that as we look at that, he was leading them into fleshly worship. You see, fleshly worship doesn't demand commitment. Fleshly worship doesn't demand sacrifice. That means that if you give it all, you may get nothing back. Fleshly worship appeals to the flesh, does not appeal to the spirit. Fleshly worship is at my time, at my bidding, whenever I want. But spirit worship entails we must come before a holy God. Spirit worship entails we we must come before God in spirit and in truth. Listen, if we honor, if we worship God, as the Bible says we worship God, we will come before His presence with honesty, with truthfulness, realizing as we come into the presence of God that we cannot come before Him as hypocrites, and we cannot come before Him with heinous sins or hidden sins. We come to God with a heart desiring to honor and please the Lord. We see here that the sins of Jeroboam were persisting for many, many years. For whatever reason, nobody had the courage, for whatever reason, nobody cared to take a stand, to take down the fleshly worship that, that, Jer- that Jeroboam had established. And so it was more convenient for everyone to worship in the flesh. The sins of Jeroboam were golden calf worship. We have fleshly worship. But I would remind you tonight, there's also forgotten worship. Every now and then, people forget just forget to worship God. God is not important. I'm thankful tonight you're here this evening. I thought you Recognize that even though it's not a Sunday morning, uh, not a Sunday, <coughs> that even on a Wednesday we can come to church and worship God. Amen? We can give honor to the God of gods and the Lord of lords. But we see tonight a people given to fleshly worship. They are in a dire situation. As they went farther from God, God's chasing hands, we'll see, will be upon them. There was fleshly worship. But notice in verse 7, we see a failing weakness. Because of their worship... Because of the departure from God, because they broke both the first and the last commandment. They, 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 they made graven images to themselves. They worshipped other gods. They were inanimate and they were coveting after these gods. Verse, verse seven tells us the chastening ham, the punishment of God upon him. Neither did he leave of the people to Jehoahaz but 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust by threshing. You know, I read that one verse many, many times in preparation for this message, and it just spoke to my heart about how they had an opportunity to repent and turn back to God, but they chose not to. And God, in His chastening hand, had to deal with them. He dealt with Jehoash's father, Jehoash. He took his army and decimated his army. Look what he did. The military force they had was brought down to nothing they were weak and they were helpless they were humbled before god he left them but 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen they didn't have enough to fight a battle with anyone god raised up the nation of syria which was i guess you'd say would be to the north uh, would be to the northwest of them. And Syria was raised up to be the chastening agent of God against them. and the, Because the Bible says the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like dust by threshing. Listen to me, brother and sister in Christ, when we decide that the worship of God is not important, when we worship self, we worship something else over God, God will use something to bring us to the place where we realize we're not as strong as we thought we once were, And maybe the things that we trusted in, maybe we trusted in our strength, and maybe we trusted in our intelligence, and maybe Trusted, we trusted in our earning power. God starts to take those away. Look what He did to them. He, he, he decimated them down to nothing. The Bible describes it. They were reduced down to like the dust by threshing. I mean, they were basically groveling on the ground because of what happened. And many times, if we don't obey God or listen to the voice of the Lord, we we will find ourselves in the very same situation. This past Sunday morning, we were as we go through our series on the Book of Joshua. We we're in one of the most we were in the mo- one of the most difficult chapters of all of Joshua, Joshua chapter, chapter seven, which dealt with the sin of. AI. And as we deal with the sin of AI, I'm watching expressions around our congregation on Sunday morning, and there was a lot of discomfort and fidgeting as we dealt with sin and hidden sins and things like that. And you would think if you give an invitation with the Spirit of God speaking and God sanctifying us to His truth, you would think there'd be more motion, more movement, more humility in the parts of people. But I'm going to say to you tonight, brethren, if we're thinking it's somebody else's problem and somebody else's sin, and we don't realize it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, we're in deep trouble. We're at the place where not only will it be a nation, That's brought down to the thrust, the dust like threshing It could be us individually where God has to deal with us To put us on our back To get us to realize that we need God And I want to say tonight Let's decide tonight that we need God now More than ever before We see tonight a dire situation I wonder tonight, is your worship forgotten? I wonder tonight, is there a golden calf that you're bowing to? I wonder tonight, is your worship fleshly? We see a dire situation, but notice number two, go to verse 14. With that situation all being said, notice we see Joash now as he's king. And notice in verse 14, we see a distressed supplication. The very first thing we find here, says in verse 14, Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face. You notice here, we see Elisha is a picture of Jesus Christ as our intermediary. Elisha is in the tail end of his ministry and his life. The Bible describes Elisha was uh, was very, very sick. In fact, he would die of the sickness. We see Joash realizing, we're down to just 10,000 horsemen. We're down to 10 chariots. We're down to 50 horsemen. We, we 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 don't foot. I mean, we don't have much of anything. We're like the dust of the, of the that has been threshed. We need help, and Syria is strong, and Syria's going to mount up another defense against us. We got to do something about it. And we see this man Joash coming to Elisha. He's realizing he needs help, and he needs help desperately. And he comes to Elisha, if you would, in verse 14, as a picture of prayer. He comes as a picture of prayer. And I remind you tonight: May God help you and me that we don't get to the place where everything the the rug is pulled out from under us and we have so many problems Then it's then we realize we need the Lord. How many feel like tonight like I do? I need God right now, amen? I need God more than I've ever needed before. And we need God's help tonight. Notice some things about this king as he came in prayer. And this will help you and me as we pray. First of all, what you notice is deference. It's interesting. As we read the biographies of Elijah and Elisha through 1st and 2nd Kings, the kings of Israel showed no deference to them. I mean, things like Ahab saying, Has thou found me, O my enemy? He called him his enemy. Uh, we think about those young men that came out of the city and they went up to Elisha and they said, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Uh, we think about how King Joram said, I'll take the head of Elisha. I mean, they, these men showed very little, in fact, zero respect For the men of God. They showed zero respect for Elijah and Elisha. And as they showed disrespect for them. And indicated their hearts being so far from God. There was a disrespect that they had for God. But not with this Joash. Joash is a little bit different. Joash comes and we see him showing deference and respect. And worship and worthiness. I may I say tonight. We sometimes come before God as if there's an entitlement mindset in us. May I remind us tonight. Thank God we can come before him. Amen. I mean, we should have an entitlement mindset. The Bible does tell us in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's an invitation from God. The Bible invites us many times to come to Him. But when we come to God, we must come to Him with a heart that is broken, a heart that seeks to worship Him. Notice, if you would, the deference that that, uh, Joash showed to Elisha. He said in verse 14, Oh, my father, my father, He was showing respect for the man's age. He was showing respect for his office. He was showing respect for his position. And by doing so, he was showing his respect and his love for God, our Father. Oh, tonight, let us remind ourselves God is not the man of stairs. And God is not just that some, some crickety old ancient person up there. No. He's our Heavenly Father. And He's the God of all comfort. And He's the God who cares. And He's the God who answers prayer. And He's the God of all creation. He comes to Him with deference. Notice, secondly, He comes to Him in dependence. Notice again in verse 14. Oh, my Father, my Father, the chariots of Israel and the Horsemen thereof. Isn't that kind of interesting? He comes with the same phrase that that Elisha said to Elijah before Elisha departed. He says, "Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof." You know what he's saying there. Without you, we have no strength. Without you, we have no army. Without you, we can't win any battles. Without you, we can't make it. You know what? That'll be the attitude you and I should have tonight. Without God, we're not going to make it. Amen? Without God, we don't have a crowd. Without God, we're not going to win any battles. Without God, nothing can be done. He said, Oh, my Father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof, dependent. Dependence is when we cast all of our care upon the Lord. Dependence is when we trust in the Lord with all our heart, and lean not into our own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge Him. And then many times we forget that there's verse 7 in Proverbs chapter 3. It also says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. I say to tonight, we must be at a place where there's dependence upon God. When we pray to God, there must be the utmost dependence, the utmost concern that Lord, I am not going to make without you. By the way, how many must understand tonight? Sometimes we pray as if God God needs us to do something God doesn't need us to do something We need Him to do something Amen We need Him to work on our behalf So number one Dependence must be exclusive Dependence must be exclusive Not God plus God alone My eyes are upon thee, O God I lift up my eyes unto the hills From whence cometh my help My help cometh from the Lord Dependence must be exclusive. Notice, dependence must be entire. Do you trust God with your life? Do you trust God with your future? Do you trust God with your money? Do you trust God for your relationships? Do you trust God for the very next step? Do you trust them in darkness? I think about the last several days the world has been held in intrigue about those 12 uh, Thai boys that were trapped in that cave and wondering if they'd get them out. And all of the world was focused on sending experts there to get them out. And I'm thankful they got them out. Amen. I'm thankful they got all 12 boys out. They got their coach. That's a wonderful thing there. But you know, they were in a place at that point, those boys, that coach, their complete dependence was on that rescue team. And you know, and that's the attitude we should realize we need to have. Our complete dependence must be in God. You know, when your health is good, and you've got money to spend, and you can buy that extra Starbucks, and you can go hang out, and you can you can run the 50-yard dash and, and, and record time and all those kind of things. You know, we feel really good and you know we will say we, we trust God, but really in reality we think we're hot stuff until we can't run anymore, until we get like some of the people on our prayer page where their health has been declined and they're wondering what's going to happen next. And I'm just saying tonight, we must learn to have dependence upon God when we pray. God must know when we come to Him in prayer that He is all we have and He's all that we need. Listen to Psalms 1. 18 says in verses five to nine. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me, set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. How many glad about that tonight? God's on your side. Amen. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than confidence in princes. Oh, tonight we see through this man Joash, we see that we see in his life that he, he comes to God in deference and he comes to God in dependence. But notice this man, he comes to God because of a dilemma. Notice the beginning part of verse 14 again. Yes, he was in trouble. But notice how verse 14 starts out. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness. where he died. Elisha was deathly sick. He probably barely could get himself out of bed. He was a much older man. He worked hard his life. He spent his life serving others. And whatever the sickness he had, the Bible tells us he died of that. But what God wants us to understand in verse 14, the window of opportunity was closing. And Joash came to the realization, Elisha is the reason why we're not in bad, worse shape. If it wasn't for Elisha, we'd be in really bad shape. If it wasn't for Elisha, we'd have no footmen. If it wasn't for Elisha we'd have no chariots. If it wasn't for Elisha we would have gone into captivity. If it wasn't for that man that prayed. We need we need help, and this man comes because of a dilemma. He realized that the time was short. That when this man died, the hand of God could be lifted off of the nation of Israel, and they'd be in terrible shape. I remind you tonight, brethren, as we come to God, we must come to God as if we're in a dilemma. We must realize that the time is short. The time is now at hand. Our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Hey, brothers. And Mr. Christ, I'm thankful that we've got a conservative nominee there on the, on, the, on the Supreme Court justice. But I'm going to tell you, my hope is not in the Supreme Court justice. And my hope is not in a conservative president. And my hope is not in the Republicans having control over Congress. And my hope is not that some of these bad laws will get overturned. No, my hope is not in that. My hope is in God, because God in His Word is the only thing that's perfect that can sustain you and me. And i remind you tonight, time is running out. Time is short. Souls are tying. People are going to hell. Time is getting shorter. The economies could turn upside down overnight. Wars could break out around the world. Calamities could happen everywhere. I remind you tonight, let us not sit at ease in Zion thinking everything's okay. We must take life as this, that the time is short and time is at hand. Or remind you tonight, he had a dilemma. He said, if I don't come now, we may not get it done. I remind you tonight, we must move with a sense of urgency, brother and sister in Christ. Souls are dying. You may not get another chance to tell grandma. You may not ever get another chance to tell your grandfather. He needs to get saved. I'm thankful Brother Jojo went back to the Philippines last November to purposely just go there to see his father, to get him the gospel, and let his father to Christ and thank God that when he went that when he passed away we know for sure that he's in heaven. I'm thankful Lord that God has used people like that. I'm thankful Brother Anthony having concern for his his great aunt, who is in declining health, and in spite of a Buddhist background, in spite of her daughters being very Buddhist, she trusted Christ as her Savior in the hospital. As she did so, her Buddhist daughter turned to her and says, she said, Mother, do you realize if you go through this and you pray this, I won't offer any food to the gods for your soul when you're dead. She said, that's fine with me because I'm not going to need it. Praise God for that. Amen. And I'm just saying to you tonight, we need to realize something. Time is short. We must do all that we can. And that's where this man was at. He recognized time was short. and I better get to him right. Right now And I'm saying to you tonight, if you don't have a prayer life, you better get to God right now. And if you're not reading your Bible, you better get to God right now. If you're not trying to win souls, you better go out and try to win souls right now. And if you're living with your something back in the closet that you're living with, and you've not confessed a sin to God, I would declare to you tonight, time is getting short. We better get to God right now. Amen. We see a dire situation. Notice, if you would, number three, we see the divine support. Now, verse 14, he comes to the prophet and he says, man, we need help. I want you to notice verses 15 to 17. Verses 15 to 17 remind me what Jeremiah said when he was in a bad situation. The Lord's mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. Aren't you glad about that today? Aren't you glad His mercies are fresh? They're new every day, in spite of who we are, in spite of our situation. We don't know what to do. And God comes to Him through Elisha, and Elisha gives Him a word of encouragement. We see the divine support of God for this man and for the nation this man had a wonderful opportunity now of seeing what God was going to do and notice what God tells him here let me read verses 15 to 17 then I'll explain to you what's going on so the Bible says in verse 14 Elisha was sick and then he calls then Joash calls upon him so Elisha turns to him and he tells him two things he says number one Elisha said to him take bow and arrows and he took in him bow and arrows now I want to remind you tonight when God works on our behalf God always gives us a word of instruction. When you're looking for what God wants you to do, you must be sensitive and tender-hearted to look for the word of instruction. You're saying, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to go to Bible college. I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. Then go to the Bible and look for a word of instruction. Say, God, what do you want me to do? Your prayer should be, order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. So God tells him through Elisha, take bow and arrows. Now, bow and arrows were the conventional weapons of war. That was back in Every time that those were the modern-day projectiles they would use to defeat the enemy. If you've ever shot a bow in, uh, an arrow with a bow, you know this: that an arrow aimed correctly with enough with enough velocity and strength behind it, that arrow can be very deadly. When it hits its target, it hits its target. It can be very, very deadly there. And so that, those were their modern-day uh, modern-day weapons, and they were very feared back in those days. That's why the Bible tells us about the whole armor of God that we're to take the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of Satan. Those fiery darts are The fiery arrows of Satan. So he says, Take the bow and arrow. Then he said in verse 16, He said to the king of Israel, "Put thy hand upon the bow." And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. Now, uh, to me, that that is just a wonderful passage right there, because he's telling him, telling this king who probably never shot a bow in his life, he told him to take this bow. And if you don't even bow and arrows, bows have to be made. They have to be. They have to be made in such a way that the wood has to be very, very firm and 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 and, uh, that doesn't snap when you pull it back. And whatever string or you use to pull it back with, whatever it is, that material. It has to be very strong. The bow has to be strong. The hands that pull it have to be strong. It takes some strength to get used to it because you've got to pull it back and know exactly how far to let it go. And so the bow itself must be strong. There must be integrity in the bow. There must be strength and integrity in the hands that pull it. And here's what, here's what the prophet was telling this king. He said, I want you to take the bow. And he says, as he took the bow, he put his hand on the wood, he put his hand on the string, and as he did so, look at verse 16. As he did so, Elisha in his weakness, state put his both his hands on the two hands of this king what a wonderful picture that is for you and me in our weakened stage in our weakened state in our weakness that we have no matter how what, how weak we may be when god gives us a word of instruction there's this comfort in knowing god puts his wonderful strong hands on your hands and my hands to guide our hands wittingly to make sure that we have the needed power we need you see when elijah put his hands on the hands of the king it was an indication to the king you don't have to worry my hands are on your hand. You don't have to worry. I'm going to take care of directing this bow. And you'll notice in verse sixteen, he says, put he says, says Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And then in verse 17, he said, open the window eastward. Now, eastward, where they were where they were positioned, was facing Syria. And he was basically telling him, I want you to face Syria. I want you to pull the bow back. Take one arrow. You're going to put the arrow in that. And you're going to pull it back. And I want you to let it go. You shoot and let it go. By letting it go and shooting it eastward out that window, he was basically declaring war on Syria. Now, that was something King Joash was not really intending to do. But that's what the prophet was telling him. You're going to declare war on this country. And notice what happens in verse 617. Open the windows eastward and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. Now, as that, 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 that arrow was shot, Elisha is giving him a word, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. He's telling him, listen, as you shoot this, I want you to understand something. With my hands and your hands, I'm going to take care of making sure you defeat that nation. I'm going to make sure of that. Hey, you know, there's a great promise that Jacob, that God gave to Joseph back over there in Genesis 49, 24. Can I read that to you? Genesis 49.24 The Bible says But his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd the stone of Israel. You see tonight As we look at the situation, God works in spite of our weaknesses. God works through our weaknesses. In fact, God chooses to work through weakened vessels. God wants you and I to be in a place where we're completely dependent upon Him. This king was very weak. This king did not have the strength. He didn't even know how to hold the bow properly. But as Elisha put his hands on the bow, on the the hands of that king, he guided that man's hands so that as he pulled the string back, the the arrow would, would accomplish its destination. This is a beautiful picture of God's grace and work in your life life and mind. It's where God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And then notice something else here. He says here in verse 17, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in aphec till thou have consumed them. Now, underline the word aphec. This is not the first time Israel was an Aphek. In fact, the last time we read about Israel being afact was back in 1 Kings chapter 20. In 1 Kings chapter 20, Benadad was the king of Syria at that time. As the king of Syria, God gave a prophecy through the, Elisha's predecessor, Elijah. He said, "Go and take him out and finish the job." But the king of that time, Ahab, did not finish the job. Benadad ran into a tower, hid himself, and basically, King Ahab let him go. They declared he let this man declare an alliance with him, and uh, he let him go, and he failed. There and he didn't get the job done, and because Ahab did not get the job done, the Syrians continued to be a thorn in the side and a threat to them as far as their existence. And so now he's telling them, Look, he's telling King Joyce, listen, that you'll defeat the Syrians at Aphek. We're going to go back to Aphek where there's unfinished business, and there where you guys failed, I'm going to give you another opportunity. Not about you tonight, but I'm just thankful God gives us second chances, amen. And He gives us third chances and fourth chances, and you might mess up one time in somewhere, but God just gives you another chance to get it fixed. And get it right there. And he said, listen, you're going to defeat them in AFEC because I'm going to give you another opportunity to get it done. Listen, you might not get it done the first time. You might not get it done the second time. But if God gives you another opportunity, seize that opportunity, get it done. I'm thankful that in 2007, when the city told us not to build, I'm thankful I didn't I didn't fold up my hands and so I guess we're not going to build. I'm thankful we just kept on praying, waiting on God. And God, now today is a testimony to God's grace. We have a heritage center. And soon, we're going to have this new building, the educational building that will be opened up. That's all to the praise and glory of God. I remind you tonight, God specializes in Working through our weaknesses The most important part of you Is the weakest part of you God works through your weaknesses God doesn't care about your strength If your strength is not given to Him God cares more about your weakness Because we would rather hide our weakness We would rather not use our weakness We'd rather not confess our weakness But I'm going to tell you tonight It's through weakness That God works through your life and mind. there And so he said Shoot the arrow towards Afek. He said don't, don't mess up again The arrow of God's deliverance, the arrow of God's deliverance. You'll notice in verses 15, 16, 17, we find God giving divine support, God giving encouragement to this man. He's saying, Listen, you just don't have to be afraid about this. I'm in control here. You're going to get the victory. I'm in controller. I've got my hands, my big hands in your little hands and I'm controlling the direction of the arrow and I've got you pointing in the right direction. I've got you looking in the right direction. I've got your strength in the right direction. you just got to trust me. And listen, I'm going to tell you tonight, we get to the place where we're thinking about all the planning and manipulation and configurations and plotting and strategic planning we need to do. I'm going to tell you, there comes a time in life, brethren, when we've got to put aside the strategic planning and the manipulation and the configuration and say, God, just put your big hand On my little hand, and God, you take hold of that bow, and you aim me in the direction you want me looking, and God, you take care of business because without God, we can do nothing, brethren. Well, he shot the arrow, man, he got God's help on it. But remind you, where God gives us his help, God also requires participation on our part, your part, and mine. God wants involvement. God wants to see effort. God wants to see faith. And what you notice, we go from this place of divine support. We see a dire situation, a distressed supplication. We see the divine support, but you notice verses 18 and 19, we see a doubtful submission. Now remember, he's told in verse 15, now I want you to take bow and arrows. And in my mind, I imagine he probably grabbed a quiver that was filled with arrows. When he shot, he took one arrow out and shot it out towards Syria. And God said, the arrow of God's deliverance, the arrow of God's I'm going to take care of business. But then he tells us something else in verse 18. He says in verse 18, now, take the arrows. That meant take all the arrows out of the quiver. Take the arrows out. And he took them. Now, bear in mind, God's asking him to make to do something. He has to exert some effort here. He says, take the arrows, and he took them, and he said unto him, the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. Now, he already knew as he's going into this endeavor. Mark this down now. He already knew as he's going into the endeavor that God, God was going to help them. He already knew they would have to have confrontation with the Syrians. He already knew that there'd be there was a battle looming ahead. He already knew that the threat of the Syrians was going to be taken care of by God. But what, what he was having a little bit of uh of uncomfortable feeling about was about the fact that there was effort required as far. You know, you know what kind of people we are? We're just like him. A lot of times we want God to do everything and we do nothing. And God wanted him to exercise some faith and some effort, some sweat. And he says, Smite upon the ground. That was open ended. And what he was saying there, he said, I want to see how much faith you've got. I want to see how much determination you have. I want to see how far you're looking ahead. I want to know what kind of courage you have. I want to know what kind of prayer life you have. I don't know what kind of, what do you believe about the promises of God? Smite the ground. He didn't tell him, he purposely did not tell him how many times to smite the ground. He wanted he knew how many times he needed to smite the ground. But he wanted to find out, well, what will you do? What are you going to do? And a lot of times as God gives us the promise, he's going to act on behalf and do something. Many times as God gives us that next word of instruction, it's very open-ended. We're kind of wondering, what do I do? Do I do less or do I do more? Well, I could tell you this, as God told him to smite the ground, God was not intending him to smite less. Because God was already told him, look at the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of the Lord's You've already got the vi- Listen, you've got the victory in the bag, but you've got a part of this. I'm not going to do all your work for you because if I do that for you, your faith will not grow. You will not appreciate who I am. You will not realize the importance of faith in any endeavor. Listen, without faith it's impossible to please God. Watch what happens. He takes the arrows out. He said, I've got a psalm book here. i got a water bottle here. Maybe it won't bust. Amen. He took it and he goes like this. One. Two. Three. He stopped. And I imagine King George is like this. He does the third one. He goes, I did it. And the prophet of God was unhappy. In fact, look at verse 19. Elisha was wroth with him. He was filled with righteous indignation. He was perplexed, and I want to remind you, this prophet was on his deathbed, because in his very final words, he's trying to help this man, and this man didn't get it, and you notice this man, he says to him, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then thou smitten Syria, till thou'st consumed it. He was saying, look it, you're not going to take them out in one confrontation. You're not going to take them out in two confrontations. He said, you should have smitten the ground five or six times because by doing so, you would have decimated their army, you would have taken more of their strength away, and you would have consumed them, you would have proved to them that you're in control of their charge, but you didn't do it. Notice what the Bible says in verse 18. He smote thrice, and he stayed. He smote thrice, and then he stayed. Wherefore now thou shalt smite Syria, but thrice. He smote three times, but he stayed. The man stopped when he should have kept on going. He gave up when he should have kept on moving. The idea was implying here, you should have exercised more faith, but you did not. And the Bible says, you should have done more, but you did not. And Elisha is very angry with him. He was telling him, you stopped before the victory was complete. Hey, the problem with Joash, he stopped when he should have kept on going. That was his problem. That's my problem. That's your problem. We don't exercise enough faith. We stop exercising faith after a couple of times. We stop praying because we don't see immediate results. We smite the ground thrice, but then we stay. Then we wonder why mother and father, brother and sister, grandma and grandpa aren't getting saved. We smite the ground thrice, but then we stay. We stop praying because we don't see immediate results. We stop serving because we are tired of serving. We stop witnessing when he sows because we think one or two times is enough. We only come to church on Sunday mornings because we feel like I've done my job. We we smite the ground thrice, but then we stay. And we get this idea. We say, "Man, I'm going to too much church. What's too much church? Come on. What's too much church? We say, well, you're reading too much Bible. What's too much Bible? Hey, is too much of Jesus a bad thing? Too much of God, a bad thing? Come on, talk to me. Is it? Is it bad? I'm saying tonight, he said, you smoked the ground thrice, but then you stayed. Hey, he's praying too much. Is it bad? Is reading your Bible too much? Is it bad? And you say, well, you don't understand. My brother only reads it once a day. So that means you're only going to read it once a day? He smoked the ground thrice, but then he stayed. He quit when he should have kept on going. He says, thou should have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it. We give up too easily. We give little effort. We need to give much effort. We stop giving. Because we don't want to give any more. We smite the ground thrice, the ground thrice, and then we stay. Well, I've been in faith promise for two years and three years and four years. But I think this fifth year, sixth year, seventh year, I'm gonna stay. We smite the ground thrice, but then we stay, and then we wonder why missions is not advancing, and we wonder why we're not being blessed, we wonder why things are not advancing, we wonder what's going on there. We stop praying for sinners to be saved because we don't want to pray anymore. We lose our concern about going out and reaching the souls for Christ and identifying people for the Lord. We stop that. We stop that because we smite the ground thrice, but then we stay. We stop because in our vain imagination, we think that there's a simpler way. Brother, I tell you tonight, we see a doubtful submission. He didn't want to submit. He didn't want to hit it two more times. He didn't want to try again, and try again, and try again. He smote the ground thrice. Then he stayed. I wonder if we're like that tonight, of a doubtful submission. We don't put enough effort. We don't try. We give up easily. We look at the model of someone who's putting very little effort. Well, see, she's not doing it, so why should I do it? we look at somebody else, well, you know, they're, uh, they've kind of they've lowered their, their ways here. And I'm going to tell you, brother, brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we live, we're in the last days. We're in a time where people want to do less and not more. We live in a time where people want to follow the lowest standards of leadership, not the highest standards of leadership. We live in a time where people don't want church. They want to reinvent church. They want to have the fleshly worship Instead of having worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We don't want to pray because we don't want to make the time. We don't want to be creative in our thinking and try to reach souls for Christ because we don't want to make the time. He smote thrice and then he stayed. We see the dire situation, the distressed supplication, the divine support. God was there for him. We see a doubtful submission, but as we close tonight, I want to end with this thought tonight. Go back to verse 19 with me. He smote thrice and then he stayed. And I want to give you tonight just a thought we want to end on. I want to prevail upon us tonight, beginning with me. Let's have a determined steadfastness. Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. May I encourage you tonight, never give up. Never give in. Never, 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 never give in. Never, never, never give up. Never, never, never stop keep on going listen tonight I'm thankful tonight that Lester John's wife Lori John's is saved because she'd been prayed for since 2011 from the very first time he's, that he came to church I'm thankful that we as I gave the, I, I asked our church for folks to come we had 30 25 to 30 of our folks that came on Monday night to a service that was run by a Catholic priest I was supposed to MC the service I found out at 530 the Catholic priest was running the service I thought oh boy I looked the agenda and I They only did one thing I asked for, and that was to keep me at the end. Always put me at the end. I always want to get the last word in. Amen? They put me, they kept me at the end. But as they started going through this, and I won't go bore you with all this, but those who were there early with me, the moment that thing started, that thing went for, I think... I think it went for for about an hour and fifteen, twenty minutes or something like that. It was just the same ceremonial, vain repetition stuff like that, and it was killing me there. They were b- throwing water on his body and doing all that kind of stuff. You've been to those kind of services there, and I'm thinking, Lord, you got they, they need to, they need an awakening here because they need to realize they don't need to do that. He was saved. He's in heaven. He graduated. You don't need to pray for his body. He's he's in heaven. You don't need to worry about his eternal security. He's secure. Jesus secured him. Amen. Jesus said, "I've given them eternal life, and they should never perish. Neither should any man pluck them out of my hand." And then the priest got up and he quoted he quoted john 14 out of some weird translation i don't know which one but i just know it's weird amen and he started giving some translation there and that, that and i normally like to use john 14 as a word of comfort but i'm looking at this bunch of stuff's going on there i thought oh boy i don't know what i'm going to do and i'm praying over this and i'm getting very fidgety there and the lord laid on my heart john 11 26 i'm the resurrection the life he that cometh to me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, he shall never die. Believe us all this. And so when it was my time to come up, they were, they were very gracious to me. And I'm thankful for that. They were gracious for me to come up. And I went up there. And with the 10 or 15 minutes I had, I just asked God, you've got to help me. I'm not finding the outline tonight. I've just got to just go off and just give the gospel. And we gave the gospel. And I told him how to be saved. And I said to point of in once to die and after this is the judgment. And I told him, I said, listen, all of us are sinners. This us be real tonight. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And listen, God has to punish sin. And I said, the consequence for sin is death and separation. And you can spend all of eternity in hell, but God doesn't want you to go to hell. God wants you to go to heaven. It's God's will that you be saved and go to heaven. But listen, you can't go to heaven unless you exercise complete, total faith and trust that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father by Him. And I gave the gospel message. And I gave an invitation. I said, how many of you tonight would like to trust Jesus' Savior? I'm going to lead you in prayer tonight. You can call on Jesus. And I used some very strong language. Those who were there, tell. With some very strong language about repenting of your sins and calling Jesus the Savior, and I did something I've never done in a funeral. I'll probably do it again. I'm not sure, but I said, if you trusted Jesus Christ your Savior, with God looking from heaven and less up in heaven as a witness, I want you to testify by standing up. that You trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And I said, come on now, you stand up. You know how I did I said, Come on now, you stand up. And the lady right over there, right lady right over here, stood, got up. That was his daughter-in-law. She's the first to stand up. She looked around. As soon as she stood up, her name was Kathy. 18 other people stood up to testify. They were Receive Jesus Christ as Savior. What if I stopped? What if I smote the ground thrice and stayed? What? What if we didn't go the extra mile to go see Lori John? And I'm thankful we've had people minister to her. We've had Bible studies with our men ministering to less and trying to. One of our deacons went to visit them last year, and she she literally almost threw the deacon out of the house and just very mean. But God had her heart ready last Thursday, and she with an open heart trusted Jesus Christ her Savior. The Kenny Lay is our church family member of the week. My mind still goes back to the Saturday. My wife and I went to see him in May. First time we met Kenny, Kenny got saved. In fact, it was kind of interesting. While we were giving the gospel, he looked at watch and oh, it's twelve. Uh, Pastor, Mrs. Fong, I need to go pick up my daughter from school. And uh, he says, uh, I said, how long will it be? And he said, well, you, you know, do you want to come back? And I said, no, why don't you go pick her up? We'll wait. I mean, we'll stick around here. We waited almost 45 minutes, but he came back. Amen. He got saved after that. A couple years ago, they said, would you like to come over our house? We want you to meet my mother and my father. Could you help give them the gospel? Went over for dinner and mother and father just received his very gracious. Went over for dinner, had a wonderful dinner and time and got, got, got the gospel with them. But they just weren't ready. They said, they said thank you very politely. And I think part of it was that was the first time they met us and didn't really know who we were. And so uh, Brother Kenny's grandmother has been in the hospital for several days there. And, and she wasn't doing very good. She's 93 years of age. Kidney problems, and she had a small stroke on top of it, just a number of things. We asked the church to pray for her, and I've been praying for Kenny's grandmother. And I, I said, told Kenny, I, I texted him Monday morning, I said, Kenny, I'm, I kind of want to know from you, is grandma, is she going to be in the hospital? I said, I'm going to be in San Francisco and on Tuesday. I said, is there any way you, you can meet me in San Francisco to see your grandma? I said, Mrs. Wong and I will be there to go see her. And he, he said, yeah, to work out. He says, how about, how about we meet over where she's at? She just, she's getting released today, Monday. She's getting released from the hospital today, and she's going to go back to the, 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 rest, the retirement home she's at, and she'll be the assisted living facility we'll meet you there and after finding parking so we got there about 5 15 5 20 one upstairs started talking grandma doesn't hear very well she's in a very weakened condition extremely weakened condition and i'll just fast forward to tell you the story i'll tell you this from me in english to my wife to my wife my wife in mandarin to kenny kenny in cantonese he got this close to his grandmother's ear started shouting in her ear uh, i don't know if i'd ever shout my grandmother's everybody shout in her ear and he told her how to be, and she she he would ask her in cantonese do you understand and she says I understand. And just kept on like that. We went through the plan of salvation. And when he asked her, he said, before I would even asked, he said, Grandma, w-, he said, don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to ask Jesus in your heart? She said, I want to be saved. And his mother right next to her, told us many, two times before she wanted to get saved. I want to get saved right now, too. I want to get saved right now. And listen, it was an amazing thing. As Kenny was praying in Cantonese, we're guiding him through that. And he was translated. His mother in, 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 praying in Mandarin and his grandmother praying in Cantonese both received Jesus Christ, your Savior, yesterday. Now, what if we stopped? What if we said we're too busy? What if we said there's other things better to do? I'm saying tonight, this man, he smoked thrice and then he stayed, but I'm saying to you tonight, you don't, you, we don't have to do that. Listen, don't be easy discouraged. Don't be wearing well doing. Hey, listen, Charles Spurgeon said this, the snail reached the ark by perseverance. And I remind you tonight, we must have perseverance. We've got to stay in this thing. Listen, the Christian life can be wearying and tiring. It can be discouraging. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have discouragement. People disappoint you. People will sin. People will surprise you. Things will happen. The devil. And by the way, right now you guard your thoughts, church. The devil is going to put doubts in your mind about me and about you and about everybody else. Don't let the devil get in your mind here. Get him out of your thoughts. We've got to stay at this thing. We can't just smite thrice and stay. We've got to go five or six times till we can consume them. I'm saying tonight, never give in. Keep on going. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. What if Moses stopped leading Israel in the wilderness? Well, what if, what if David, David decided to stop halfway as he approached the giant? What if Paul stopped planting churches? What if Baptists throughout history stopped being Baptists? Breathe the trail of blood, amen? What if Jesus stopped and didn't go to the cross? Don't smite the ground three times and then stay. George Mueller prayed for five of his friends. After many months, the first one got saved. Ten years later, two more got saved. He kept on praying. After 25 years, the fourth one got saved. 52 years later, right after George Mueller went home to be the Lord, the last one got saved. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let me give you a few thoughts and we're done tonight. Let's be steadfast in our offerings. Let's be steadfast in our giving. We're going to keep having special offerings to pay down debt and expand as we grow we're going to keep doing faith promise missions. Don't, don't, don't stop. Don't stay giving, um, participate in faith promise missions. Be steadfast in the ministry God has given to you. Be steadfast in your commitments. Be steadfast in your marriage. Be steadfast with your parents. Never give up. Henry Longfellow said this, perseverance is a great element of success. If you only knock long enough and loud enough at the gate, you're sure to wake up somebody. Amen. Amen. Somebody else said this, go as long as you can and then take another step. Never say quit. Never say no more. Never, 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 give in. Don't stop. Keep on going. Don't be content to smite the ground thrice and say, you know what, I'm just going to keep on smiting and keep on going because I know the more I do, God will bless that faith and that effort. God will. John Wesley wrote in his diary, Sunday, May 5th, in the morning, I preached at St. Anne's. They told me not to come back anymore. Sunday night, May 5th, I preached in St. John's. The deacon said, get out of here and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, I preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. He wrote on Sunday, May 19th, preached in St. somebody else's church. The deacons called special meeting. and said I couldn't return. Sunday night, May 19th, I preached on the street. They even kicked me off the street. Sunday in the morning of May 26th, I preached in the meadows. I was chased out of the meadows by a bull that was turned loose during the service on me. Sunday morning, June 2nd, I preached out at the edge of town. They kicked me off the highway. Sunday night, June 2nd, in the afternoon, I preached in a pastor. 10,000 people came and heard me preach, and people got saved. He smote the ground thrice, and then he stayed. Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then thou wouldest consume them. Don't quit. Keep going. Never, never. Never. Listen, you're going to hit hard spots in life. You may be at that place right now. Don't go one and two while I hit my three times. That's it. Keep on going. Keep on being faithful. Keep filling up that same chair. Keep making those offerings. Keep having your prayer time. Keep your devotions. Be faithful and soul winning. Witness to your friend. By the way, At the funeral on on Monday, I'm thankful for the 25 members. All of them brought gospel tracts and started witnessing people right after I finished preaching. Hey, I got a prospect here. I got a prospect. I told this one here. We're going to try to get him to church. Thank God for people who have a burden for others. I'm saying tonight, don't smite the ground thrice and then stay. Keep Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on going. Father, tonight, help us to keep on going. To be steadfast, unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. Father, tonight we give up so easily. We quit when we need to keep going. We quit on each other. Help us, Lord, tonight when we quit on You. You put Your hands, those bony, weak hands of that King. You gave Him the assurance that everything was under control, that Your strength is made perfect in weakness. But when that happens, we must still follow Your instructions. We must still exercise faith. We must still exercise effort. We must go outside of our box. We must, Lord, just be willing to go further than we've gone before. And help us tonight. I realize we get weak. And we know that our honor man perishes, but we know that the inward man is renewed day by day. And thank you tonight that Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Lord, we're not trying to conjure up what we can do. We need you to do it through us. Spirit of the living God, Fall fresh on this congregation for cleansing, for purifying, for power, for perseverance. Have your way tonight at the invitation, however it may be. If someone here tonight is not saved, God, they need to get saved. They need to stop saying, I'm going to put it off. This is the day of salvation. This is the accepted time. For those who do not know you tonight as Savior, they've never called upon you, repented of their sins, said, Jesus, I need you. Tonight, Help them to call on you this evening to exercise faith in Christ and be saved today. Increase our faith tonight. May the grace of God abound in our hearts because you promised you'd give more grace. Give more grace tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Piano's going to start playing. I ask you to stand. If you need to come tonight, you join us at the old-fashioned altar tonight. You feel like quitting? feel like giving up? Don't give up. Never give in. Never give in. You say, my situation is perplexing. I understand that. I understand that. I got several myself right now, but don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit on church. Don't quit on the Lord. Don't quit serving. Don't quit giving out tracts. Don't stop praying for the unsaved family members. that give you trouble. Don't don't turn your back. Just keep going. Never give in. He smote the ground thrice and then he stayed. Maybe you gave up a long time ago. I would encourage you tonight. Get back in. Don't give up. Look at us as a blip on the screen, but get back into it tonight. Get back into it tonight. Let God work in your life. Let His strength be made perfect in weakness. And then tonight, if you're not saved, we invite you tonight to call on Jesus to save you. Right where you're at, you can tell the Lord of glory, I need to get saved. I believe Jesus died for my sins in Brooklyn, and wrote them I take Him now as my Savior. Would, would you do that tonight? Father, tonight we acknowledge that you are holy, you're mighty, you are God. You're the Lord of the church. You're the rock of the church. You're the chief cornerstone of the church. You're the anchor of our soul. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. And you told us to consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners, lest at any time we should faint. This evening, give us resilience, enablement, strength, and help. Thank you for our decisions tonight. Help us not to quit. Help us to keep going. Thank you for your goodness. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. I need some help from our men this evening. We need all tomorrow uh, morning, tomorrow afternoon, and Friday we have the CD recording, the recording tomorrow uh, tomorrow Friday of our orchestra. It's a big event. The whole building's locked down. People can't come in, and no one's can come in out Or the orchestra starting at 3 o'clock tomorrow. We need all the men to take all the, center, the chairs here in the center section and stack them up. Men, if you can help me stack those out, because this whole area's going to be set aside... For recording tonight so if all the men can help me we can get this done in about 10 minutes so many of you can help me with that so pray for the recording would you take some time tonight tomorrow and friday to pray for the recording and that god will use it for his glory then saturday join us at 9 45 for our sowing outreach just help us to reach people for christ by the way wednesday sewing today we had a lady that got saved today praise the lord for that so praise the lord so just just be faithful a lot of prospects we developed today and we hopefully we'll see him in church this coming sunday pray for next week for the cross court boys basketball camp and then pray for the kids camp july 30th August Thank you for being here tonight. Those of you who are in the meeting with me, if you want to give ourselves about 10 minutes, meet me in the chapel. We'll stay for about 15, 20 minutes, and I'll let you go. God bless you. Man, help me with the chairs tonight. You may be dismissed.